Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another scintillating episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always, and as always, joined by Jesse Lanham, Shaheen Khan, and Henri, or Henry, Gator Newman. <laughs> How's it going out there? Doing good. Yeah. It's going to be minus 15 after tomorrow in Minnesota. That's definitely why they call me Gator, huh? <laughs> well, it's your upbringing in the swampland of Florida, out there gigging frogs and fighting gators. I thought it was his biting remarks. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> and also, by the way, Henry, that's good overclocking weather. It is very good. Over. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's great overclocking weather. He's a superconducting gator. He is. Not quantum weather. At those temperatures, you know? Yeah. But what we're going to talk about today is our main topic. Our topic du jour is this incredible thing that Cray has put together, the Slingshot Interconnect and the ASICs that run it. It is a very cool thing. It is. And very impressive. First thing right off the bat, it's Ethernet. At least it's Ethernet-based. It's Ethernet on HPC and AI steroids. Dan, I want you to take us through it. Well, the high points, first of all, with the Ethernet is they've come out with a superset to the Ethernet instruction set that they're calling HPC Ethernet. And what it does is it slices off a whole bunch of the stuff that makes Ethernet bad for HPC, like the big, huge headers and big, huge tails, plus the fact that the minimum data block that you can send with Ethernet is 64 bytes. With new Ethernet, it's down to 40 bytes. That's really important for certain things when you're doing a ping or a pong or just sending state information. Yes, you can start. But when you're doing MPI and that kind of communication, the smaller number of bytes you can send, the better performance you're going to have. Yes. Plus, being able to knock down that Ethernet protocol weight is a very big deal too, right? It is. A lot of work to reduce the fixed cost of communication. And with the small message size that's typical in HPC and AI, this is just going to help it to scream much faster. We'll put a link to this article, but the one I'm looking at, it's a liquid-cooled switch, which is pretty sporty. Well, you need it probably given all the hardware you got in it. Yes. And the hardware is, well, incredible. First of all, the Ethernet is backward compatible, so this thing will understand standard Ethernet. But what it does when it talks to a device, it does a handshake and says, hey, do you understand this HPC Ethernet? And if the other device does, then they commence to talk in a whole lot faster. They've got a switch here that has 64 ports, 200 GPS per port, which is very sporty and an incredible non-blocking mechanism and a quality of service mechanism that makes sure that no one gets completely squeezed out. They've got great congestion control. Wow. You mentioned liquid cooling. One of the journalists who commented on this on Twitter was talking about a side remark by Steve Scott, and he put it in quotes, that we also have to deal with processors that are getting hotter and hotter. We tripled the per cabinet power and already feeling shortchanged. Oh man. Because we are getting processors now above 600 watts. 
And we've seen processors on roadmaps that are above a kilowatt. So this stuff can get hot. Whoa. 600 watts? <laughs> a kilowatt? Wow. Yeah. I, I've heard that rumored throughout the industry on CPUs, but I haven't seen it yet. But I guess the sky's the limit on ASICs, eh? That's right. So is there anything with Slingshot that's bad? Since we're talking about like all of this is innovative and great, but like, is there anything where we're like, hmm? What's a trade-off in other words? Yes. I'm waiting for the shoot and drop. At least for me, it's yet to be determined until it goes into operation. Fair, fair. You don't find the the low, low level details of why is this application running slower, you know, with this communications pattern until you put it in operation. It's really hard to imagine something this complex in your mind and say, oh, there's the bottleneck. Yeah. And I'm sure the modeling and all the things around it already did that. So maybe there is no end case, but maybe there is. Well, there is one thing that is true, and that is they've designed this for exascale. And one thing with multi-stage networks and how you use switches and what sort of topology is that their growth is based on a function that sometimes crosses each other at a particular scale. Yes. So a topology that may not be all that great for small systems suddenly becomes interesting for really large systems. So given that they've done it for exascale and given that they did a clean sweep between Aurora and Frontier and El Capitan, and who knows, perhaps more, it seems like that is its sweet spot, that for really large networks, this does have significant advantages. But within a really large network, there are applications that have nearest neighbor communication. For example, weather does that, but then they have to do a broadcast to get all the data to all the nodes at the startup of each time step. So if you're saying exascale, exascale means everything to everybody. What is the application type that is optimized for, and what is the application type it might not be optimized for at Exascale? Yeah, that is very true, because when you build these big systems, you have to look at what is the largest application right. you're trying to cater to, and how often does that run? The thing is, though, is that a Dragonfly isn't the right topology for every size of system you're putting together. Well, but You've got to no, have a certain it, amount of scale. <laughs> It's not about the size of the system. It's about how applications communicate. And also cost. Right. That's what I bet. And power. <laughs> well, Dragonfly originally started because it would minimize the number of your largest cables. Yeah. And presumably with Dragonfly at Exascale, they can reduce the number of optic lines that are expensive and use copper lines that are cheaper and use a lot of more local connections with communication across and, and that's what they're saying here. And that's what they're saying, yeah. Those three-stage network does that. Yeah, that 80 to 90% of it's going to be low-cost copper as opposed to high-cost optic. Right, exactly. The yeah. other thing is that you can get from any endpoint to any other endpoint in only three hops, which makes my mind explode. That's right. So that's a three-stage network. <laughs> which means it will do well with all reduce and, and broadcast. And given that it can scale to... 279,040 endpoints. Which is pretty pretty good. That's a good number of endpoints. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know of anything that um, gets bigger. Excuse me. I'm going to disagree with that statement. All right. If you're talking exascale computing, 279,000 is probably a first-generation exascale system. But it depends what you have at those endpoints. Yes. Yes, I understand. But I'm just saying that's not a lot when you look at some of the systems that are going out today. It's not an order of magnitude greater. I have a feeling that the industry is going to move towards even fewer 
by having bigger things at the endpoints. Yeah, bigger nodes. But what's and, the what's the highest node count these days? I don't I think don't, I know. Well, Tiulite was really high because their CPUs were pretty thin, right? Yeah. But Sequoia is only, I think, 6,400? That's what I'm saying. But Sequoia is not an exascale system. So you want to factor a 10 over Sequoia, you're at 600,000 endpoints. That's all I'm saying. Okay. That's a good point. Well, Tiulite was 10,649,600 cores. Yeah. But I don't know how many nodes that is. Yeah. And you remember those numbers off the top of your head? Why, Shaheen? No, no, I just looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I walk around reciting those. So here's a question. With figuring out, are there downsides to Slingshot? How well does this work? With what does it work? Can we actually buy it? Or is it going to be proprietary only? I've got a oh, real quick, Jesse, hold that thought. Tayu Light has 40,960 nodes. Okay, so way fewer than 279,000. Yeah, and that's 125 petaflops. Yep, and multiply 125 times six, mm -hmm. which is about 240,000 nodes then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway, go ahead, Jesse. So I was saying. So for all of this testing, is it going to work well with these types of network topologies, with these types of applications, that sort of thing? Can we actually, will we be able to buy Slingshot or is this going to remain proprietary? Good question. Well, the question is what is proprietary because it's supposed to work with Ethernet and any topology you want to put together. Mm, true. So in principle, it should work with anything, but Henry's going to uh, rush and say, what about drivers? Yeah. Drivers, communications, testing at scale, <laughs> air conditions, air monitoring consoles. Hold on, hold on. We're, all the software. We're talking about two different things. No, we're not. I think what Jesse is asking, well, tell me if I'm right, Jesse, but are you asking, is this something that HP slash Cray is going to sell to third parties separately from the system? Yeah, that's more what I meant. Like, does, does Mellanox now have to start getting a little bit worried? And I'm saying, yes, it could work, but there's some big hurdles to jump through on this one at scale. Yeah, I would agree with Henry. If you look at it from an economic standpoint, Jesse, the interconnect makes up about 25% of the total spend on a supercomputer. And I don't know that 25% of a deal is enough for them to go through all of the hurdles that Henry is talking about in order to make sure it works, it's bulletproof on some other vendor's gear. Mm, good point. The other thing is with all the clean sweeps that they've done, they're probably going to be production limited just to ship it for their own sales. So I don't know whether it makes sense to go through productizing it, but I did predict that they would you do that. You did make a prediction. Yes, you did. You are registered yes, with a but, prediction. But I was taking a page out of your prediction by saying they would announce it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe I'm pretty good on that one. Um, <laughs> they will mention but, it but in you, some talk. <laughs> but, you know, it's an interesting thought because really there's only Mellanox as a third-party interconnect vendor right now. I want to see more. Mellanox is soon to be NVIDIA. That's right. Mm -hmm. I believe it could happen any day now. Yep. And In the spirit of competition, I want to see more. Just, just, just like watch what happens and to see where Interconnect could go if there's increased competition. I think that could be cool. Yeah. Competition always good. Makes everybody better. Absolutely. Except for the people that it ruins their lives. Well, if you lose it, um, it's probably not nice. <laughs> okay, Dan. <laughs> 
So it either makes you better or it utterly destroys you. <laughs> Someone got participation trophies. We get it. <laughs> and your next high tech job is at Staples. <laughs> <laughs> but a very good interconnect. And actually, going back to a question you had earlier about the downside of it and the trade offs, Jesse, mm-hmm. you know where we're going to find that out? From Mellanox, from the competitors. There. They've got engineers that are looking over every single bit of this if they don't already intimately know it. And that's where we'll hear about um, the downside. But it's also a growth market. I think there's probably room for a few of them to do well. Yeah, absolutely. So with that topic nailed down. Henry, are there any reasons this week why nobody should be online ever? I have a dilemma, Dan and Jesse and Gene. There were so many good things this week that I don't know which is the best one and which should be my catch of the week. So I'm doing an eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and I'm going to pick. Is it going to be random? Are you are you generating a random number right now? Yep, yeah, a random number between. One and three. One and a hundred, one and three, and I only have, I have two picks. <laughs> so that's basically so rock, I'm gonna, paper, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, It's a Rochambeau. <laughs> I'm going to pick. The latest of why no one should be on the internet ever is that the Philips Corporation that makes light bulbs, that has Wi-Fi connected light bulbs, has issued a firmware patch sure. to the light bulbs. <laughs> someone, <laughs> you, can't make, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. <laughs> I've got to download that onto an SD card, and there's probably some... Stick it in your 16 light bulbs in your kitchen. Yeah. But you can get into the light bulb and then control the whole network in your house. Because there's a second path (laughs) into the light bulb. (laughs) Are we surprised? No. I I was actually surprised on this one. Oh, really? Yep. So somebody can get in... And exploit your light bulb, yes. the Wi-Fi through your light bulb. Yeah. Now, do you have to set a password and login for the light bulb and people aren't? Yep. <laughs> it's going to be the same one written on the post-it note <laughs> by their laptop anyway. Dano, sometimes you can get in even if you have set the password, yep. depending on how their yeah. communication protocol works. Basically, they showed how you could fly a drone and hack the entire room full of Philips light bulbs. So you can just fly around apartment buildings looking for Philips light bulbs, hack them all, and own every network in the apartment building. Your own EDM light show right there. And then then what? I'm going to use those to generate Bitcoins? (laughs) (laughs) More heat than light. Problem is in this protocol called Zigbee, yes. which is a lighter weight protocol than Wi-Fi. And then you put a Zigbee to Wi-Fi bridge in. But if you get into Zigbee, then you get into Wi-Fi and then you own everything. I mean, to be honest, it's not Wi-Fi directly, but you then own it. But this presents the whole issue of the Internet of Things and these companies just don't get it. So as someone building a new home, I'm adding more and more firewalls between me and everybody else. I think I'm going to have active plans to kill all drones near my house. Wow. Maybe I'll have some kind of air defense defense against drones. Please, no-fly zone. Yes, make my house a no-fly zone. (laughs) I'll have those drone catchers that shoot nets, nets, you know, wire nets, so I destroy the drone. (laughs) Yeah. Henry, even if you secure it, then you have the privacy issue. Like, 
last week Dana was saying about malware detection software that would sell your stuff. Yeah, that was virus protection, right? That was a free virus and sells everything that is on your system. Well, Henry, would a Faraday cage built into your drywall help? Well, I might have a Faraday cage because my walls are 21 inches thick of compressed uh, dirt. Uh, So it's possible that I will see if I have a Faraday cage. What's the phone reception like inside your house? None. (laughs) (laughs) The the reason we call him Gator is for the alligators in the moat around his new house. (laughs) Drawbridges. I think we're going to have to have an offsite, a Radio Free HPC offsite live recording. Yeah. At Henry's mansion when it's uh, ready for uh, guests. It's definitely not a mansion. But anyway, my catch of the week. Wait, am I, I, do I hear a sound? Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, you should hear a sound of the boats in the distance and the reel and the buoy. <laughs> signifying it is time for the catch of the week. Henry. I have a catch of the week. What is it? It was my second. Why no one should be on the internet ever. Tens of millions of Cisco devices are vulnerable to a Cisco discovery protocol flaw. At the lowest level, this is a layer two protocol for all Cisco routers, switches, products, IP phones, IP cameras, partridges, pear trees, whatever. If it's got Cisco on it, it's there. And CERT has issued an advisory. Wow. If you're down at layer two, you're down pretty far. And if you get to layer two, you can get everything else above it. So this is a bad one, but I thought the light bulbs were more interesting. But this covers a lot, a lot, a lot of ground. Oh, it's a lot of devices. A lot of people. Millions, oh, yeah. Tens of millions of devices, they're saying. Wow. I mean, we're not talking a million. We're not talking 10 million. We're talking more. Each. Everything. Each one that's going to require some firmware downloads and mouse clicks to do, how many will be missed? Well, it's not really firm, Dan. That's kind of ancient firmware downloads and mouse clicks. Well, you can blast firmware out to all the devices on your network. But somebody's got to That's do kind that. of 2000s. I'm in grandpa mode. You're, yeah, definitely grandpa <laughs> mode. So, Henry, this one you're not categorizing as overblown clickbait that's like never going to hit anybody. No. This actually is a real No, because one? there was a sort issued by the Computer mm-hmm. Emergency mm-hmm. Response Team. Anytime there's a sort issued, I put that way out of the clickbait category. I see. Okay. Fair. So, Jesse, you got a catch? I do. So, bringing more athletics into this podcast. That would be the first time. It's the Nike, <laughs> I know, the Nike Flyprint Fabrics, which is the first 3D printed textile to cover the top of a shoe in performance shoes. And so, the reason this is super cool is that they use data that they gather from the athlete, both their running data and the shape of their foot. And then they use these internal Nike computational tools to figure out the best composition for this textile that they then 3D print. Wow. Hmm. Yes. And this is the fabric that is going into the Nike. Nike Vaporfly shoes, which were super controversial. We had to figure out if they were going to be in the 2020 Olympics or if they were going to get banned. And the Vaporfly has now set the standard for what you can actually do for shoes, like thickness and whether or not you can put a carbon fiber plate in them and things like that. Wow. That reminds me of the Speedo swimsuit that was used for the Olympics back when. Yes. And it's exactly like that. It got banned after a while because it was just doing such a good job of eliminating eddies. Hmm. Yeah. So it's this interesting intersection between like 3D printing, computational science, and then the massive sports world. And and Shaheen, it was also, besides the eddies, I thought the issue was that it was dealing with the 
the fact that skin had more resistance yeah. than this material. Yeah, they were body So suit. that's why. Yeah, the suits were full length. They got banned. So I think you can still use the fabric, but I think they have they can't be full that's length. That's all I wear now, but I don't swim competitively <laughs> anymore. <laughs> just, for, just for exhibitions and charities. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's something. Shaheen, what do you got? All right. Uh, I have something about AMD's 3990X chip. There's an article in Extreme Tech that has put it through its paces, including, as you mentioned earlier, putting it out there in the freezing cold, minus 11 degrees Celsius, to overclock it. All sorts of performance, and it's just kind of leading the market between the 64-core one-socket 3990X and the 32-core 3970. Both of them are pretty hot and explain why AMD is just really carrying the torch right now. I'm going to be real interested in, say, a year from now to see how many AMD-based systems are on the list. A lot, let's say. I keep hearing of deals that AMD is winning. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So my catch of the week, users, you folks out there, have made Microsoft backpedal and backpedal very quickly in the opposite direction. I think I used this as a catch of the week several shows ago, but Microsoft was going to force Bing to be the default search engine for Office 365 users. Oh. Well, that lasted a few weeks. Oh. <laughs> they announced that on as it January 22nd. I don't think it actually got implemented. No, it did not. January 22nd was when they were going to do that. They were going to install a forcibly install a Bing Google Chrome extension for all the Office 365 Pro users, which is an awful lot of folks. And they have now backpedaled on that and said, you know, we don't believe that that was the best way to, quote, roll this value out. (laughs) (laughs) No way. They did. They did. They said they heard some customer concerns and it will not be automatically deployed and there will be an opt-in as opposed to an opt-out. Nice. Yes. (laughs) Some customer concerns. There were some customer concerns expressed in every possible conceivable way (laughs) immense rebellion yeah was this all radio free hpc listeners must have been that did this (laughs) we're gonna say yes (laughs) yeah we're gonna go ahead and say yes (laughs) and here's what one uh, customer said utterly unacceptable this feature should not be on by default and is totally unacceptable in a business environment it would be bad enough if bing was a good search engine but it's just not no matter how many users you try to force onto the platform. <laughs> Tell the truth. <laughs> Tell the truth. And that's one of the things that uh, I notice when I'm overseas in some particular places that you can't get to Google. That's right. And you get to find out the joys of Bing. And, is that right? Uh, Bing is okay? but Bing is okay, uh, interesting. but not, not Google. And boy, you really find out how different those search engines are or how used I become to using Google. So anyway, on that win one for the little guys note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. Glad that all of you are out there listening, all 16 of you. Hope you listen some more. And please get a hold of us. Do you have any ideas, any feedback, complaints, comments, concerns? We are at podcast at radiofreehpc.com or give us a holler on Twitter. We're at Radio Free HPC. Thank you again for listening and talk to you soon. Boom. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.